the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Even when we get bogged down in our flesh, distracted by others' flesh, we can actually lift the cloud of distraction from our soul by just blessing the name of Jesus, putting our eyes upon him. You know, the song says, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. It doesn't mean that I can somehow dismiss what's going on around me, but it does mean that I have placed my eyes on a God who is sovereign, whose will towards me doesn't change. I can know that I can face tomorrow because he lives in me. And that's the way we face life. And the communion side of it is just recognizing that in a more consistent way, Entering into that conversation with him, sharing each moment with him. That's what communion makes possible. We're in the book of James, and last week we left off in uh, chapter 3, verse 12. And James had just finished uh, warning us of the power of the tongue. And we understand that the tongue is simply a revelation of the soul, uh, the condition of the soul. And I use the word condition not by accident, but because often what we say and even how we act does not reflect the truth of our heart. Now, in these verses, you will see the word heart made reference to, and I will make it clear to you when that word is referencing your true heart, which is the heart that Christ gave you. It's the new heart. It's the new creation heart. It's what made you a new creation. And the other heart, the other word for heart, is a word that's referencing your soul. And there's a definite difference between the heart that Christ gave you and the soul. The soul is your conscious being. It is your mind, will, and emotions. It's your personality to some degree. But the soul is not who you are. The heart is who you are. And I know most of you have heard me say that many times, but you know what? I, I need to hear me say it quite often. The soul is simply a tool, a vessel, an instrument is the word I like to use because it depends upon who's playing it as to how it will sound 
or what will come out of it. My older son, Todd, can play the piano and it sounds good. My grandson, Ayers, can play the piano and it sounds different. I'll just put it that way. Okay? So the, but the piano didn't change. It is exactly the way it was made. And your soul is exactly the way God made it. And there are things that are permanent about your soul. But the majority of what's true about your soul is not the consistent, the the fluctuations that you see constantly and the way you feel and the thoughts that are introduced in your mind. They're the things that God is shaping in you. Those are immovable. They're unchangeable. They're uniquely part of your personality. They'll be what makes us different when we get to heaven. In that you will express who you are in a way that's unique to you. And it's no accident that God made you that way. It's no accident that you have the personality that you have. He does that because he is God and he's able to make every snowflake different. He's able to make every raindrop just a little bit different. He makes every cell a little bit different. And he's made every one of us a little bit different. But here's the neat thing. You were made uniquely for him. Uniquely for him. It's like, uh, you know, have it your way. What is that, Burger King? You go in there and you say, I want it this way. I want it exactly this way. I want to hold this. I want to put this in it. I want to make it exactly like this. And that's what God did with you. There's not another Christian like you. And since I'm already on this street, I want to bring up another point. You're not going to mature the way every Christian matures. You're not going to pray the way every Christian prays. You're not going to read the same verse at the same time and perceive it exactly the same way. You are not going to progress the same way. Nothing about you will be identical to somebody else, and God made you that way. So quit allowing the accuser to condemn you because you don't look exactly like somebody else. Or pray exactly like somebody else. Or seeing exactly like somebody else. Others have gotten over it. You can too. God made you exactly for himself. All right, as I said, James just got through warning us about the power of the tongue. And that the tongue is simply a revelation of the condition of the soul. And we often say things in anger and frustrations that really do not reflect the truth of us. And that has to do with the soul. The problem with that is that once something is said, it can't be unsaid. And we don't know what we have said may have affirmed a lie the enemy seated within our minds, and it may affirm a lie in, the, in another person's soul through our words. Now, don't be thinking you're like God in that respect. God's mercy is greater than your ability to mess up somebody's day. His grace is greater than the mistakes that you make. But we need to be mindful that there's a reason that he says to guard your words, to guard your tongue, not to speak just because you can. I have had to learn that. A lull in the conversation doesn't necessarily mean you're being invited to speak. Do you ever learn that lesson? 
It may mean be silent. And I often reference, even in counseling, I reference it a lot, the time when Jesus stooped. He didn't answer. He just stooped and wrote into the sand. I find many times I just need to stop. I need to wait upon the Lord. I need to wait for his revelation. I don't need to speak. I don't need to fill the air with everything that I think I ought to say. The tongue can be very destructive, especially when it's being fed by the lies and selfishness that the enemy would put into it. It becomes a tool of the enemy to destroy the work of God. And as was pointed out last week, the tongue is a tool. It's not inherently evil, but it may be used for evil. And it is at the command of the mind, and the mind that is not being renewed with truth, a mind that has been passively allowed to feed on the lies of the enemy, the distortion of the world, and follow the carnal appetites of the flesh, is a corruption both to its soul and the soul of the person who's using it, and to the one who's listening to it through the tongue. Now, we can listen to someone and tell what they've been feeding on, can't we? We really can. It's kind of like people who've been eating onions and garlic. We can readily tell they've been eating onions and garlic. And they're not offended by it because they've grown used to it. I know uh, my wife made a dish that required onions the other night, and she put it in a container and stuck it in the refrigerator. And I got up the next morning, walked in the kitchen, and it's like the whole place just stunk. Some of you like onions, I know. I don't. And it just stunk of onions. And I opened the refrigerator, and it was like opening the crypt. It just... (laughs) Hit me dead in the face, you know, it was just this powerful onion smell. And immediately I, I questioned, I said, what, 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 what did you put those onions in? She says, oh, it's in a Pyrex dish with a snap on top. I said, well, that thing ain't snapping, I can tell you. And we put it in a uh, Ziploc bag and the Pyrex dish, trying to cut that thing off. It was just so offensive. But to me, to me, okay? But I can tell where the way people talk, particularly in, in counseling, and then just standing in the checkout line, you can tell what people have been feeding on. You can hear the, the mindset that they have because of what they've been listening to. Now, <clears throat> like breath that's uh, a little bit off, foul, uh, we can know that somebody's been eating at the enemy's table, can't we? We can know it pretty quick. It's not my intention to try to re-preach last week's message, but it's going to help us have some context as to why James is moving in the direction he's moving from, from one section to the next. And I want you to remember that James is discipling these Christians. He's discipling these Christian Jews, the Jews of the dispersion, which means that they are scattered all over the Roman Empire. All right? Because of the persecution. And what he has written is a letter that has to do with discipleship. And he is addressing the problems, not that he sees, because James is not omnipresent, but that the Spirit of God sees within the churches. And the first thing, you know, first rattle out of the bag is that, you know what? Faith without works is dead. It's one thing to walk around telling everybody what you believe. It's something else to live it. 
You got to go beyond your profession of faith to the absolute execution of all that God has put in your heart to do. Obedience. And we're going to see today, we talked about, we also talked about the tongue because obviously that was a problem in the early church. A lot of yammering going on. And most of it, or a good bit of it, was ungodly. And he addressed that. He said, don't you know? And now he's going to address wisdom. And wisdom is not what we think it is most of the time. Because when we hear wisdom, we think of intellect. We think it's a function of the mind. Or we see uh, some sage with long flowing white hair and a long white beard giving out all kinds of stuff. We think, that's wisdom. No. Not necessarily. In fact, most of those guys are speaking foolishness, right? So today we're going to discuss what wisdom is. And James has progressed step by step, bringing them along in discipleship as to what it is to live the Christian life. And he's basically telling them, it's time to discipline your souls, guys. The reason you are such a mess... And you're blaming it on your circumstances. You're saying, oh, everything's coming at us, so we can't hardly be expected to get it together. And yeah, we're running back to the temple because we don't want to be persecuted, but who can blame us? All of these things are are decisions that are made in the soul, a soul that is a complete mess because of years of undisciplined living, years of forsaking truth. Years of living partly to to their faith and partly to the world. And now the soul is a very scary place for them. I see a lot of parallels. A whole lot of parallels. In light of that, the Spirit of God is continuing with his discipleship. And when I was reading all this stuff, I was reminded of a verse in Hosea. I know it's probably not one of your go-to books. But it's really, really a good book. And God addresses the condition of the people through this prophet Hosea. And Hosea, in Hosea chapter 4 verse 6, he says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you, the priestly nation, have rejected knowledge. I will also reject you, that you shall have no priest to me. Seeing you have forgotten the law of your God, I will forget your children. Now let me give you the context. Hosea began his ministry to Israel, also called Ephraim, after the largest tribe, during the days of Jeroboam II, under whose guidance Israel was enjoying both political peace and material prosperity, as well as moral corruption and spiritual bankruptcy. Jeroboam, the second's death was in 753 BC. However, after his death, anarchy prevailed and Israel rapidly declined. This reference came to my mind again as I studied because of the similarities between Israel's situation and our own nation. Well, Our text today is addressing our need to live from the wisdom of God. Hosea addresses the fact that Israel had forgotten the pursuit of knowing and serving their God. That prosperity and temporal peace had made them complacent and self-indulgent. 
Consequently, God's word to them was no longer pursued and their relationship with God had been neglected. Now, this book is about God's unwavering love for these people and his pursuit of them in spite of their idolatry, complacency, their complacent attitude towards him. And it's about the passionate love of God for his children and his pursuit of them. And because they had rejected, and it says knowledge, that's dahat, which is Hebrew for wisdom, discernment, understanding, they were being destroyed by their enemies. Because they had rejected God's wisdom, they were being destroyed by their enemies. And you need to understand something. This is not just speaking about the enemies in the temporal world. It is talking about the enemies of their souls. And that destruction didn't begin when the economy began to fall apart, when anarchy took place. That destruction began when they began to forsake the things of God. That erosion was taking place when they walked away from from worshiping Him, from pursuing Him, from making Him the priority of their life. And when that erosion takes place, then the rationalization sets in, just justification sets in, all kinds of things begin to take place where suddenly the wrong doesn't seem quite so wrong, and the right seems way out of out of place. Dated, irrelevant. God pursues them. God desires to share his heart with his children. He longs for them to discipline their souls and to walk with him in obedience. You know, as a father and a grandfather, I have some idea what it means to want to share wisdom with your children, which is something that should be born out of love, not out of a need for affirmation from your children. A lot of that's going on these days. It's born out of a desire to nurture, to protect them, to show them your desire for them, to show them your love for them. And when you offer wisdom, when you allow yourself to give them instruction and all of those things, you do it out of a sense of love for them. It's easier to ignore it. It's easier to run away from the possible rejection of a temper tantrum. It's easier to set aside the responsibility and say, I'll get to it. But a loving father or a loving mother won't walk away, won't ignore, won't take the easy road. Why? Because they're not concerned about whether or not they'll be accepted or rejected in the moment. They're concerned about maturing. They're concerned about nurturing. They're concerned about what the world's going to look like for that little boy or girl. That's true parenting. And it is not possible for the flesh. The flesh is always having children in order to affirm who they are. In order to extend who they are for their posterity. (laughs) But the Spirit of God sees children as stewardship. And the child of God recognizes that they have children because of the hand of God gifting them that life for however long. God gifted them that life. And he didn't give it to them because they were so smart. I know, I'm a witness to that. He didn't give it to them because they were so wise. Again, I can say amen. 
He gave them that child because he knew that he could direct his wisdom, his love, his discipleship through that personality to that little personality. That what he wanted to shape in them, he could bring through you. And you know what, parents? You're the perfect parent for that child because you're the parent. God planned it that way. All right, let's look at our text for today. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And if you don't mind, please stand with me while I read. Who among you is wise and intelligent? Let him by his good conduct show his good deeds with gentleness, humility, and true wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be arrogant as a result, be in defiance of the truth. This is superficial wisdom. This superficial wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, secular, natural, unspiritual, even demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder, unrest, rebellion, and every evil thing and morally degrading practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, morally and spiritually undefiled, then peace-loving, courteous, considerate, gentle, reasonable, and willing to listen, full of compassion and good fruits. It is unwavering, without self-righteous hypocrisy and self-serving guile. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness, spiritual maturity, is sown in peace, by those who make peace by actively encouraging goodwill between individuals. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, again, James has already taught that faith is evidenced by works. And this goes to a principle that, that we teach here quite often. And that is that in the living out of it, you know it. You don't know it by reading it and just reading it out of the Bible. You don't know it because one day God just zapped you and suddenly you had great understanding. You don't know it because you read a certain commentary or you studied it in the Greek. You know it when it becomes life to you. That's when you know it. That's truly knowing it. And that's what Paul talks about in Ephesians. So whenever we Take what God has shown us and live it out, which we will do. We will do through our lives. There are things that we know about and there are things that we know. We know a lot about God, but then we know God through an intimate relationship through Jesus Christ. But there are things we know about God that we don't know yet. (laughs) And through the process of living life, we're going to come into the fullness of knowledge. Now, you won't know it all in this lifetime. You will eventually know most a good bit of it as you live out through eternity, but you won't know of it through this lifetime. You will know the things that God wants to perfect in you. That's what you will know. So if you need to know God's provision and its consistency, then you're going to know the need for God's provision and its consistency. You're going to know the basics. You're going to know love. You're going to know charity. You're going to know all of the things that he wants you to practice. You're going to know because you'll have an opportunity to practice them. The fruits of the Spirit you're going to know because he will express that either through you or by you if you will yield to him. 
Those things are knowable, but there are some things that aren't knowable yet, all right? And some things that aren't knowable at all. All right, James has already taught us about faith as evidenced by works, where the fruit of the Spirit is displayed in obedience. You don't know the fruit of the Spirit apart from obedience. Then in continuation, James writes of the evidencing of a life of faith through the controlling of a tongue. It is only possible for your tongue to be controlled by righteousness when righteousness has its proper place in you. Now he is writing concerning our need to allow the wisdom of God to inhabit our minds. Verse 13, who among you is wise? He asks the question, who among you is wise? Let him by his good conduct show his good deeds with the gentleness and humility of true wisdom. Okay, God, godly wisdom is not an intellectual pursuit. And I think I brought that out at the beginning. If it were, then your knowledge of God would be limited by your intellectual capacity. But godly wisdom is not just knowing about God. And remember that James is writing to believers, and this is his rhetorical question. And it is an attempt to get them to examine the spiritual condition of their soul. What is your wisdom based in? If he's living his life through you, wisdom is exuding from your being. That's what's going on. Wisdom is not a piece of knowledge, a bit of information. It is literally the life of Christ. He is our wisdom. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.